Hi, I'm Ali. And I'm Penny, and you're listening to Not Too Busy to Write. The podcast about writing, publishing, and creativity amongst life's many other demands. So this week, we are going to talk about where we get our ideas from. Um, We thought it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's one of those first questions that people always like to kick off the Q&A at book festivals with when it's thrown open to the audience and an audience member puts their hand up and says, and where do you get your ideas from? Not understanding that this is something that is... um, quite a deep topic that can go on for a very long time so we thought you know what we're just going to tackle this this week where do we get our ideas from penny where do you get your ideas from (laughs) oh gosh i mean absolutely everywhere everywhere um and the thing i find is that the more work i do the more I'm out in the world, the more I'm looking, the more ideas just keep coming and coming and coming. It's almost like a practice. Mm. Like the more you're kind of engaged with your ideas, the more ideas come. Do you find that as well? Oh yeah, completely. It's totally. <laughs> like too many ideas. Yeah, like too, too many, many ideas. ideas. Yeah, too <laughs> many ideas, not enough time or years, not enough lifetime left. Um, yeah, I think so. I think there can be this kind of thought that if you're in a room with plenty of time to think and time to reason things through that you will somehow cook up these ideas. Um, And I don't think ideas come from inside. I think it's like you say, it's very much an external environment that they come from. Um, It's also kind of having that bloodhound nose. So at the moment I'm doing quite a lot of research for a proposal and I'm finding that as I'm researching, I'm discovering these other stories, these brilliantly rich, gorgeous stories. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that's a book. And oh my goodness, this is this is a historical romance novel. And this is this. And, and so you do, you just get these things just grow. I remember seeing um, China Mavel quite a long time ago at the, there was a history of the no, Future of the Novel Conference at Edinburgh Book Festival. Um, I think it was about 2012. And he was talking about ideas and how it would be so incredible because we all have so many and too many ideas, like you were just saying, that if there was an ideas shop that you could go to and you could just put, think, right, I've got this idea, but it's not the idea that I can work on or it's not actually an idea for me, which would going to talk about in a second but yeah if you could have a shop but you could put it in like a jam jar or something and just put it in this place (laughs) and another writer who's feeling a bit down on their ideas luck could just come in and go I love this one this one's great and take it (laughs) I think I think there's definitely a, a space for that kind of idea swap but yeah I'm completely with you I think they exist totally externally and we're constantly um just seeing these things that could be because you know story exists in the world it's outside of us and so you see stories everywhere you go yeah everywhere and I think that's so true the idea of the bloodhound because to me I think we talked about last um series when I was reading Twyla Tharp's book The Creative Habit and she talked about this idea of scratching you scratch away Mm -hmm. at something um like a chicken (laughs) And, and the idea is kind of come out and come to the fore but you sort of have to just follow that curiosity and do that scratching and I think the bloodhound analogy is another really good one um and I do think it's a habit and a practice it's like of um once you start 
tuning in to your nose for story and your nose for ideas, it becomes easier and easier. And it, um, it just sort of, I guess, escalates. And some people would say that writer's block is when that just shuts down, perhaps. Um, and that's not something I've experienced, but I know I've spoken to people who, who have and who maybe periodically do. And it's like a closing off of that um, bloodhound instinct or something. Mm. Yeah, I think that can be true. I mean, I think there's so many factors that can contribute to being blocked and not being able to get the words on the page. Life isn't always conducive to to kind of output, but I still believe yes. that even in those kind of closed off and hermit-like times, that although we are saying that in the main ideas come from outside ourselves, I think in those very quiet times, there's still a lot of space for growth and for reflection and that things can be mm. happening without you realising that they're happening. You um, are absorbing things constantly and you're still absorbing material and that's something that later you might begin something and you realise that you're actually needed those those fallow times as well for things mm. to be able to grow um I don't think we can constantly be putting out if we're not taking in which again is about where ideas come from I think that they come from feeling that you're kind of part of a discourse or that you're conversant um, with other artistic disciplines as well um so you know like you just that switching off of going to an art gallery and feeling like you spent afternoon in a forest and quite often you come away and you suddenly find that you've got more ideas or that you've seen a piece of art or text that's kind of sparked something or made you ask a question and once that happens you just kind of realize that you're, you're feeling a bit more alive again as well so I think that these down times aren't necessarily times where we have to berate ourselves or worry about and like you always speak about it's rest as well isn't it it's being mm, able to kind yeah. of recover the spark too yeah I remember hearing uh, Maggie O'Farrell talk about wanting to write about um Agnes Shakespeare <laughs> for like I think decades <laughs> maybe yeah. and just not knowing what shape that story was going to take so sort of just left it in the back of her mind and that idea was sitting there for a very long time before she realized what shape it was able to take um and so yes you're right you're absolutely right they, things can simmer for a very very long time and be sort of sat in the back I've got a couple of things filed away quite more than a couple of things filed away that I don't know felt become something but I do I'm really curious yeah. if they do pop back at some point um the current thing that I'm working on, interestingly, came sort of out of conversations I had around tender. And it's nothing to do with the book is nothing to do with me. It's fiction. But it's not um, it, it sort of came out of conversations with other people. And I think that's what's interesting is um, is it's about, I think, not just that it, an idea might come externally, but it, it's a it's almost like a how we interact with the external yeah. how we interact with the things that we come into contact with um it sort of has the protagonist and it has something happen in her life that has happened to me but it began with me asking the question or well, what if the context was entirely different and how would that have changed Mm. this experience for this person so it sort of started off as just something very tiny that we have in common um and now it's grown into a whole world which is sort of bizarre to me in some ways but it just started with me asking that question of well what if this had been different for me um 
and I just followed it. I just um, followed to see what would happen. I think it's the following um, that really is is kind of that just having this instinct to knowing what constitutes something that that's worth following as well. Coming back to the idea of like ideas sitting there and simmering. I think sometimes the longer they simmer, um, the better as well. I'm not a big believer in having an idea and immediately going and writing it out. I think really, really slowly. Um, And I used to think that that was a bad thing, but now I'm like, actually, I think that's probably quite a good thing. So what I'm working on at the moment is something that I've had in the back of my mind since 2009. So that's quite a long time for it to be (laughs) sitting there. And much like you were saying about Hamnet, I think that stories sometimes need life to be able to tell you what shape they are. And I think that the story tells you the shape. I distinctly do not believe that we tell the story what shape it takes. The story will take its Mm -hmm. own shape. A book has its own energy and its own life and we don't get to decide that. I think it's sometimes a bit bizarre that we call ourselves the author like we're in charge because we are not the story is completely in charge and will be told the way it needs to be told. Um, So I started working in earnest on this proposal last year and as I was researching one thing I discovered another thing and it wasn't a case of being distracted it was a case of realizing that these stories actually kind of blocked into each other um and following following with my nose I remember distinctly discovering making this discovery finding these things and just immediately knowing that that was it that this was what was lacking and this was what would fix it and being so excited and um and then very strangely, I was up in Edinburgh just recently um, on a research trip and I was in the pub meeting old friends and then one of them had a, a friend with them. I hadn't met this woman before and we were talking and I started talking about what I was researching and she immediately knew what I was researching. She knew the whole story and it's this um, quite forgotten story that I'm researching and bringing back and she had also been researching it not for work just because she loved the story and loved Mm. the people in it and then she started to tell me another story and this incredible history and again it was just like the hairs on my arms my whole body went cold I was like oh my goodness this is this is it for another time so um so it was incredible and I think that all these serendipitous kind of linkages like you were saying the conversations that you had around tender the more you speak to people and the more that you are kind of always subconsciously thinking work the more you kind of are gathering into yourself like a little squirrel, like in all its nuts in the wintertime. It's that thing. You take things (laughs) inside you and then you start kind of listening to what the book's saying and the energy the book has. And, and yeah, I, I just think it's incredible. I am probably misquoting, and I think I said this before, but I read Sadie Smith once said that there's the book you want to write and then there's the book that you can write. And I think that this mm. is the thing here as well. It's like there are all these ideas, but then there's the ones when you know that they're yours 
and you're going to take possession of this idea wherever it is it's come from but it speaks to you and it it makes you excited and you think yes I can sit with this idea for at least the next four years or however long it's going Mm. to take to to make it into its um final magnificence and then speak about it for a couple of years afterwards so yeah yeah it just never goes away but um that's the thing isn't it it's like it's about what excites you I think for that reason because you do have to sit with these things for a really long time and explore them so it's a to me it's that's part of what I know when to follow something is when I get that little feeling of excitement like of curiosity of something sparks like there's a little spark and I'm like oh this is something I need to follow um and you know sometimes you follow things and they they don't go where you expect or they maybe don't go anywhere but of all the things I I do follow um a lot of them lead places well the thing is is you just have to kind of give it a go yeah because not every idea is a manuscript not every idea is full length but every idea and not every idea even makes into not even every scene idea makes it into a book either or not even every so I was just thinking like not every idea will even lead into a piece of work but what it might do is if you're kind of intellectually curious all the time and if you're reading and paying attention to the world and talking to people and, and thinking, then you kind of, you get led into these different directions that link into other directions. So like happened with me is I was looking for one thing. I discovered something else, which opened into something else. So ideas, they're like portals, aren't they? Like little ones and yes. bigger ones and bigger ones and bigger ones. And then you get this bigger thing. Um yeah, and that's there's just something quite lovely, quite magnificent about being able to do that. And yeah, and then obviously the work begins <laughs> of of chiseling away at this and, and working it all out. But I think if you can still really be excited about writing that idea after you've done a 40-page proposal, then the chances are that's the idea for you as well because I think there's lots of ideas that you kind of would get halfway through a proposal and think "Mm, do I still want to write it well who knows that is very true (laughs) and I think this is the advantage of the proposal writing process because you can really get your teeth massively stuck into it without obviously writing the entire thing Um, and you'll know pretty quickly into some heavy research and and heavy proposal work whether an idea actually has legs Mm -hmm. um and so in some ways even though some people might find it a bit frustrating that you have to do all that legwork before you can get commissioned it's actually I think it has its advantages Mm -hmm. it's funny like I'm almost trying to replicate that slightly now that I'm doing fiction I know that sounds crazy but I've been outlining because I'm like it worked really well for me doing that in nonfiction. <laughs> so I'm kind of, a t- I'm kind of, I've, I've done a very thorough outline now. And, um, and I think it might be the way that works for me. Mm. I'm not entirely sure. We'll see. We'll see how it pans out. Yeah, but I, I think for me, it's like, um, it's a way of getting my entire head around the full story mm-hmm. and then knuckling down to the detail in this, in the way that I did in in non-fiction so I think it's quite funny because obviously so I sold my memoir didn't sell on proposal 
my memoir sold on, um, it was done, it was written. Um, so I didn't have to do the kind of joining the dots. Although when I wrote it, obviously I plotted it, but I plotted it like I would have plotted fiction. So I had all the turning points and the climax and everything. I did that kind of trying to work out how to hang my life on this washing line, essentially. And I couldn't do the planning. But with this, I've really had to do the planning, obviously, to be able to pitch it. Um, Mm. But it's just a different kind of work. And it's been really incredibly useful to do all of that because you can have this kind of wobbly idea but when it comes to fiction I can't I can't plan like that I just I have like point a point b you know again plotted so I know the turning points but yeah some major turning points yeah yeah. but I can't do scene by scene because I just start writing and then the characters are talking to me so much and they're telling me things and just speaking to me so that I just have to write it down and then I wake up in the night and they're telling me more so that I have to write it down and I can't plan it because they're literally shouting at me so yeah Yeah. I mean I'm definitely not making any promises that I'm gonna stick to my outline (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's um it's definitely been useful for me to pin down the actual story um and then within that there'll be lots of flexibility in terms of how exactly I tell that story um but yeah it's been it's been incredibly interesting and it's funny I feel like um particularly because I've been doing so much reading this year um that it's almost like in terms of ideas um they're just literally I guess pinging up all over the place and I think it has to has a lot to do with not just in terms of interacting well but interacting with text Mm. um and um and reading a lot of um of quite not inspiring language in the sense of like oh it's amazing and I'm putting them up on a pedestal but in terms of like rich language um and and really varied ways of telling stories um and there's something really incredible about that a bit about being in a in a kind of I guess I'm in a consumption year in terms of um literature because well, 2019, I spent writing nonfiction and I had so much research I had to read um, and so many interviews to do and so much transcribing and and, then, and writing <laughs> that I, I didn't actually allow myself to read a lot of fiction that year because I just, just didn't have the time. Um, and so I feel like 2020 and 2021, I've just like completely thrown myself <laughs> into literature, just like bathing in it. Um, and I think in a way it's sort of, it's done something quite amazing to my writing somehow. It's just, it's helping take it to a whole different level by just being really, really, um, I guess, absorbed in it, like quite completely absorbed in it. I think it's really important to have those times where you kind of replenish and, and really think about the, I'm trying to think of what the word is, but really think about the craft as well and and Mm. the and not just words on the page but the different ways of approaching it and the different kind of techniques Mm. that you have in your toolkit as well I am I have I started off this year reading a lot um and then I've just been so busy (laughs) that Mm. I've not been able to I've obviously um rewrote the last days a few times 
um, and then edited it and simultaneously finished a, a manuscript that I'm working on in the background, um, just kind of beavering away at secretly and we'll see what happens and this proposal as well. So I've just been like, I just don't have the space. I think your head only has space for so much and you know times where you've got space to read and where you want to as well where you really want to look at the text and you just get other times where you don't and I think both are equally as important Mm. I think you should really like push yourself too hard this is me just completely like um making excuses for reading the mess but we were talking um before we came on just a little bit about um about themes and and kind of reoccurring things that happen in our writing because it's often said and I really believe this as well that writing is a way of solving a problem so that you approach Mm -hmm. a problem you find a real life problem and you start kind of thinking of different ways to solve it and somehow that that becomes kind of the crux of the work and that kind of underpins it and gives it a bit more robustness as well so you're thinking about this question I've always had this absolute terrible fear that I would inherit awful traits and awful tendencies um that I would inherit madness uh, because there's a lot of what was in the past called madness in my family um so I always had this kind of crushing fear of it and that's kind of informing what I'm working on just now and I think that's what drew me to that it was definitely this fear but we were talking about how at times you can feel that you need to put like a a theme on your work or box yourself in um so when I was at uni doing my master's which I know you're doing just now we were asked to do a manifesto for ourselves um come up with this kind of what our writing was for and where we were going to position ourselves in the world and I couldn't do it and I didn't have a clue what my writing was for or where I was in the world I mean I'd only quite recently entered the world which is literally what I called it when I was growing up um so I had until about a year before that been shut off from the world so I didn't Mm. understand my place anywhere but yeah I couldn't do this so what are your thoughts on this because we had thoughts (laughs) I don't think it's possible for me at this stage to be able to predict what themes I will not be able to let go of. I think there's lots of things I'm interested in and I suspect I'll keep coming back to them. But also um, I think I think I can I can't exactly predict what it is that will hook me and not let me go Mm. as well in a way. Um, And I think that's fine. I think it's really important to know when you're writing something specific, when you're working on a project specifically, what it is you want from that project. I think that can really, really help with the writing process. It can help determine the shape. It can help determine a lot of things. Um, It can help you make choices when you're feeling a bit stuck between different choices, coming continually coming back to what you want to get out of it, what the point of it is, what the point of it is to you, why it matters to you, I think is really, really important on a project level. But in terms of a career, I think it's a bit unnecessary (laughs) because, um, yeah, I wouldn't want to, I don't think I could have ever predicted that I was ever going to write about unpaid caring, Mm. for instance, even though I was doing it when I was a teenager the actual unpaid caring I mean I just don't think and in fact probably until a couple of months before I 
started working on that proposal would have told you absolutely that I was not going to write that book. (laughs) And then it would not leave me alone. It just Mm. would not leave me alone. And as soon as I started actually working on it, I was like, oh, no, this is what I'm writing about. This is what I've got to do. Um, So it kind of wouldn't leave me alone. And I'm not sure I could predict what those things are that are going to be, that are going to keep not letting me go. Mm. Because I think I get quite... I don't think I do get quite one track minded. So with, with, with all what will hopefully be my work with everything I'm working on this year, I've realised that the things that tie them together are uh, desire and telling of untold stories and silence. And these kind of are the refrains that are now playing throughout my work and that I find repeating and that, that's what the ideas that draw me, that when I see it, I think, oh, yes, this, or I find someone. <laughs> keep finding all these people from the past. Honestly, I feel like some kind of conduit at the moment, like all these dead people just are finding me, and it's quite weird. Um, or I'm finding them, but it feels like they're finding me. Anyway, I keep finding these stories and realising that all these people are, are driven by urgent desire to achieve something. And to kind of go against the status quo of the time that they were in. And it's really funny because it's not, I think the thing is, is I don't think that you can, because the subconscious works on such a bizarre level, because it's subconscious, obviously. So it's working away in a way that you don't understand and you can't read. um, That you just constantly just find these patterns that just repeat. And it's so funny because I think, that the patterns that repeat are the things I was always interested in. They're always the things that have obsessed me and that I've been really driven by, but I didn't realise until I've got this kind of larger, obviously not out in the world output, but larger kind of sketched out output. And I go, now I can go, oh, that's it. Just like when you read Ian McEwan and there's these bits that are all through his work, you know? And these writers that just kind of, they keep, Jesse Ball's another one, and they just keep popping up the same similar things. And you think, yeah, your mind is just always running over the same tracks. I was seeing, I saw a documentary recently, um, by the uncertainty experts which unfortunately I don't think I can recommend to you because it is done live and interactive um but if you can see it again I will put it in the show notes because it was absolutely brilliant but um but one of the neuroscientists that was in in that was talking about humans ability to adapt to uncertainty and one of the things and I can't remember exactly how it was described there's a specific word for it but when you prime your brain to um pick out things that you think are suddenly the world telling you um but it's your brain, you've primed your brain to see it. So for instance, if you're, if you want to buy a new car, suddenly you'll see that car that you think you want to buy absolutely everywhere. Or if you're pregnant, suddenly you see pregnant women everywhere. And there's a very specific scientific term for it, but we can do it on purpose. We can do it to ourselves. And I love this idea of like applying this to our work. So um, they, 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 they told us this exercise where um, you close your eyes in the room that you, well, for no, first of all, you open your eyes, you look around the room you're in, um, And have a good look at everything. Have a really good look around the room. Take everything in for like, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds, 15 seconds. And then close your eyes again. And then try and remember any red objects in the room. And picture those red objects. And really picture them in your mind. And then when you've done that, open your eyes again. And have a look around the room again. 
and the red objects should jump out at you. Yeah, and you'll see so much more. You'll, you'll see them. They will literally just jump out at you. And so they said that you can deliberately use this to your advantage. And I think I think it's a, it's a really interesting thing to think about in terms of ideas because that is when I, when I heard them explain that, um, and apologies for not being able to remember what it's called. <laughs> um, it seemed to me like it encapsulates how I feel about when I'm working on something and the ideas come to solve the problems that I'm trying to yeah. solve. That suddenly I, because I'm allowing the project to have space in my brain and because it's sort of constantly there in the back of my mind, in my subconscious, I'm, I'm my, my brain is primed to look for ways of solving the problems that I'm occurring in that work yeah it's, do, you, do you do you think that's a similar kind of thing for you do you feel that I think so I think what you're talking about is confirmation bias mm, it is similar to that but it's a different thing it's an actual yeah because but it's, it's it is similar. it's basically you know so I've obviously done quite a lot of reading on cults um and that's kind of how they work is that this yes, exactly. if you're constantly told that the outside is dangerous, then all you will see is danger. See, is danger. But then yeah. what happens over time is that your brain obviously becomes primed to only see danger, but becomes primed to respond to danger, which is obviously how PTSD and trauma works as well. So it becomes this kind of, yeah, that, that we see what we want to see, but we also see what we need to see. Um, yeah, I think my brain does work like that. I'm finding it hard to smell to try and think because I'm so um tunneled like literally just now I am being a bit of a hypocrite talking about like ideas coming at you because they are coming at me um as I'm reading about this one thing that I'm reading about but I'm so tunneled as well I'm tunneling 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 into uh, a shape of a work and I know that as soon as I start working on the bigger work that I will close off I will not have ideas when I'm working on something, which is mm -hmm. why I like to, at the early stages of something, I like to know that I've got an idea for the next thing because otherwise when I'm working on the thing, I get really panicky because I think I'm never going to have an idea again. I used to be a person <laughs> who has loads of ideas and now I have none. And um, yeah, I, I had that panic about three months ago. I was like, oh my goodness, we've got no more ideas. And then they came and it's fine. Um, but yeah, I think it's really, really funny how you go through phases where you can just absorb and be like a sponge and think, yeah, this one's great and that one's great. And then they just go away and you think, oh, I don't even have an idea for 500 words. But yeah. <laughs> this is very true. This is very, very true. And I know I've heard lots of different writers talk about this and keeping files keeping files of um, whenever something pops up, sticking it somewhere and having a file of random ideas mm -hmm. so that um, that perhaps when they're feeling that panic, they can dip into their file and like prove to themselves that they have had ideas before. And some of them might actually be really good um, and some of them might actually spark off something quite big. But um, yeah, so when you're in those phases where they're sort of coming at you, you can just put them somewhere, somewhere to put them and then at least you can also forget about them again if you've written them down somewhere. Yeah. Um, well, that is actually not a system I have really developed yet. And I have been thinking lately, I might need to. I've got um, that. I've got. Because um, I haven't, I'm a notebook girl and I, I can't find anything back in them afterwards. <laughs> yeah. So I've got, I have, um, I send, I have phone notes as well. So 
I, but I have basically um, a spreadsheet of what I'm working on for the next five years. Um, so there you go, um, including completely worked back from dates that I would have to submit them to the dates that I'll have to start it to all the stuff. So, so yeah, um, there's that. There's, <laughs> Oh God, I hate spreadsheets so Don't much, oh, but um, I'm really, I'm really glad that makes you happy. So I yeah, I have that. So but it, what it means is that I won't lose them because I've got this quite like yeah, you know exactly where they are. Idea, so yeah, so they're, it's all there. But what also is really, really good um, is when you're editing. So the last days was 120,000 words at one stage it had gone from like 55,000 on submission to 120,000 on rewriting and it's now about 84,000. So what I did when I was cutting bits, there's quite a lot that were different scenes or were like actually Mm -hmm. still really good bits. And I've kept them in a file for like essays and for future writing around work. But also I do kind of have this thought that sometimes we're only ever writing the same book over and over and over and the same book begs to be written and rewritten um and so if you keep those ideas you've got this kind of fodder for the next time it comes and it's it's in there so it's never lost and that's a really good point actually especially for life writers um that you know all of those things that you've cut when you're writing for life from life um when it comes to promoting the book it's likely that you'll be doing speaking and um you know writing essays and all sorts of things are going to be happening Mm -hmm. and I think it's um it's really like we don't need to be afraid of holding something back for for that kind of stuff as well (laughs) as much as we might really love a scene it might not fit in the book but it might be great to have some of that material um anyway because I think you do get tired of endlessly talking about the same stuff when you're writing from life and so to have some things tucked away for promotion is actually really smart yeah and I think also for other elements of life so when you're trying to plot a life you're obviously um editing up just a lot um and there were bits that I'd written that I realized didn't belong in that book but that doesn't mean that they don't belong in a book Yes. So that I had taken, yeah, so I'd taken up, it's like my dad doesn't crop up in the last days at all. Um, But my dad is very interesting, (laughs) is one word, Mm -hmm. was very interesting. Um, And that, those parts that I took out, he was in the last days and then he got taken out. Those parts, um, I think, will get used at some deep in the future point. And then there's other bits um, that I took out and I actually realised that they belong in what I'm working on now but I didn't know that at the time so it's kind of that as you're writing you're writing and then you're kind of gleaning bits so yeah nothing's lost and I think that you get to the stage where you get ideas from your previous work as well and it's like a snowball it gets bigger indeed well Ali what have you if anything because I know you've been uh a bit under the pump (laughs) have you been reading this week uh the education act of 1892 it's fascinating (laughs) 
and the <laughs> university act of now um i have been reading nothing i have literally been reading uh, legislation parliamentary proceedings letters arguments uh, it's been wonderful but probably not reading that anybody's going to want to do or have linked in the show notes but who knows we could link it if people want to um yeah i've i've really just been too deep in research mode yeah very deep and I keep thinking it's Christmas soon and I can sit and read a book and eat some cake but what about you? (laughs) I have been as I said I am I am very much in a kind of consuming literature um, phase at the moment so I had abundance of choice of what I could talk about today but um, I thought I would mention um, I read um, Emily Radikowski's book My Body uh, the um, model and um, massive Instagram star who wrote a book of essays about her experiences at a, as a model. Um, and I was so interested to read it because, um, first of all, it's a world I used to work in. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because of actually the pushback she's getting about it, I was really fascinated to read it because of the pushback. There's been a I'd say quite a lot of sort of um, snobbery about what she's talking about because she is a woman who has made a huge amount of money and gotten a huge amount of fame because of her body. And so uh, some people don't like the fact that she um, is writing quite self-aware, quite self-critical, intelligent essays about the whole process. <laughs> um, but they're, they're absolutely fascinating fascinating essays some more interesting than others um but I think what's so fascinating to me is that um she's first of all able to see how she's how her view of herself has changed over many years I think she's about 30 now and she's been working since she was about 14 Mm. um and how her views of herself, her self-image have been shaped by all the people around her, including her parents. There's a really actually quite incredible essay about how she was treated as a young child, a beautiful young child, and as she got older, um, and how she had to learn to, like we all do, learn to um, sit with these different views of us Mm. from society, that um, you should accentuate this, you should not show that you should do this you should not do that and how they all they all sort of sit together um and yeah I just um I mean a part of it I was quite sad to read because reading it I could see that that almost nothing has changed since the early 2000s Mm. when I was working in that industry um which is quite sad um I was reading you know some of her essays are stuff in from 2016 2017 2018 and um and nothing has changed nothing really I think on the surface we talk a different talk Mm. but I don't think there's been any actual reality change in terms of how women are treated um when they are there as a body mm-hmm. um, and their body is a commodity. Um, so yeah, I would, I would really recommend it for anyone who's interested in um, body politics and, and how, and, you know, and women making money from their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say go in with an open mind because I think it's really 
fascinating. It sounds really fascinating. I think it's kind of slightly internalised um, something to to judge a book because of who's written it as well. I think if anyone's going to be placed to actually talk about body politics, it's someone who has been using their body and been viewed through what their body looks like since they were 14. She's going to probably understand that bit inside out as well. And it's it's just fascinating, this idea of people shutting her down because they're like, mm-hmm. you can't have a say because you decided to play the system. You decided to play that game and make all that money so you don't get to talk about it. Mm. You don't get to complain about the people who sexually assaulted you. You don't get to complain about people treating you like you're not smart um, because you've made a lot of money. And I find that argument just completely baffling. Like you're saying, I think she's so well-placed to have these conversations. So, yeah, I would uh, really recommend it, actually. It was fascinating. Yeah, I I love the sound of it. I think it sounds really good. I'm always fascinated in books like that as well. So it sounds really good. I will definitely check it out when I'm um, out my tunnel and post-Christmas. Because Christmas, the rule is you either read crime or like spooky ghosty type stories there's certain things yes, you're allowed I do to do love a bit of I do love a bit of crime at Christmas mm-hmm. I'm with you on that um yeah on that note I think we should probably go and um yeah thank you for very much for that very interesting conversation about <laughs> ideas <laughs> thank you you've been listening to not too busy to write with Ali Miller and Penny Windsor You can buy all the books recommended on the podcast at uk.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash not too busy to write, where a portion of each sale goes to support independent bookshops around the country. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow and please leave a review. It really helps others to find the podcast.